morning again, uh, church family. What a great time of worship we've already had this morning, and what a great time we'll continue uh, to have as we spend some time in the Word uh, together. Uh, If you have uh, a Bible, would you open it to John chapter number 3, the Gospel of John chapter number 3. We have started a series recently called Come and See, where we are walking through the Gospel of John, looking at the encounters of Jesus and what that means for us today, what his story means as we follow after him. So find John chapter 3. As you're doing that, I want to tell you about a, a story that I heard recently. It was from a preacher friend of mine, and it was a, uh, it was a story about Dabo Sweeney. And if you don't know who Dabo is, he's the head football coach for the Clemson Tigers. But anyway, the story is shared of how uh, every year Dabo holds a meeting with the incoming freshman class. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Clemson Tiger program, at least over the last 10 years, here's what you need to know. It's a very good football program. So when we talk about a meeting with those freshman athletes, we're talking about some of the, the greatest athletes in the world. And he has this meeting with some of these guys who have been heavily recruited and are extremely talented, and he holds up a football. Matter of fact, I was going to get my son to throw a football at me this morning, but uh, we decided that might turn out to be bad. So anyway, he holds up a football, not like the old uh, Vince Lombardi post where it's like, hey, this is a football. It's important, right? Now he holds up a football, and he asks, out of all the incoming freshmen, he asks, who is the strongest of all of you in the room? And of course, you know, there's some snickering, some laughter, some pointing, oh, you know, whatever. But finally, uh, some five-star, you know, defensive lineman or offensive lineman makes their way to the front of the room and stands next to Dabo. And Dabo takes the football and he puts it on the ground. And he says, son, I want you to balance on that football. So, of course, he tries. They do every single time. And uh, regardless of how many times he tries, he can't stand on the football. And so he sends him away. Everybody laughs, you know, whatever. And then he says, okay, uh, forget the strongest athlete in the room. Who is the most athletic? Who's the best athlete that's in the room? And so same thing happens. Everybody's laughing, pointing, you know, whatever. And then finally some five-star DB or wide receiver or somebody like that struts down uh, to the front of the room. And Dabo does the same thing. He takes the football, he, he places it on the floor and he says, son, I want you to try to stand. I want you to try to balance on this football. And they try and they try and they try, but they never can. And then Dabo looks out at the room after that player as well, goes back defeated and sits down amongst all the other freshmen. He looks out at the room and he tells those incoming freshmen, these world-class athletes, he looks at them and he says, football is a great sport, but it's a terrible foundation. You see, Dabo knew something that these players needed to understand quickly within his program. If you base your happiness, your identity on football, it's not going to end well for your life. He wanted these young men to know that there's more important things in life than the game of football. Now, I know you're thinking, Danny, why are you talking about a speech that Dabo Sweeney gives to his incoming freshman? Well, the reason why I'm telling you that story is because I think that's exactly the same type of thing that Jesus is trying to teach us this morning in John chapter 3. You say, Danny, Jesus is teaching us about football? Well, no, of course he's not teaching us about football. But what he is talking about is our foundation. What he is talking about is what matters 
most. You see, football's good when it comes to entertainment. It's even good when it comes to making money for the future. However, it's not good when it comes to a foundation to build your life on. You can replace that with anything you want to, whatever hobbies you have, whatever job or career you think makes everything worthwhile, your, your family, even relationships that are really good, your religious activities, your church, your good deeds, your reputation. You put whatever you want to in the blank, and though they may be good things, they all make a terrible foundation to build your life on. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, there's one thing that matters most, and Jesus is about to explain it to us in John chapter number three. Let's look at this encounter together, starting with verse one of John chapter three. John writes, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, kind of a, a, an important figure. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's referring back to John chapter two and all the signs that the people had seen Jesus do. He's like, we've seen all these. You must be from God. Verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A little shift, by the way, in the conversation at this moment. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We would all probably ask this same question. That seems a little difficult to happen at this point in my life. So Jesus answered, verse 5, truly, truly, there's that phrase again, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Instead, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, Nicodemus, again, a little lost as we might be, said to him, said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, there's that phrase again, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you will speak directly to our hearts, that you will challenge us, convict us, change us. I pray right now, this time, this time God is yours to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we jump into John chapter three with a very interesting conversation between Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus. And as you can see from the account, and you've probably read it before, what Nicodemus thought was most important was in fact not most important. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to help Nicodemus see, although there are a lot of other good things in life, there is one thing that matters 
most. There's one thing that should be most important to his life, and he is revealing it to Nicodemus in these verses. And this is a fascinating moment because so many things have already happened in this gospel account. Jesus's earthly ministry has began. He's already done incredible things. He's turned water into wine. He's flipped over tables in, in the temple. He's ran everybody out after the Passover celebration. He's done plenty of signs and miracles that people have seen and begin to believe because of the works that he's done. And could it be that Nicodemus is one of the religious leaders who's questioned Jesus? Could he have been present at the temple? Could he have seen some of the signs at the end of John chapter two? Could he be the one who sent people to find out about John the Baptist in John chapter one? Listen, we don't know exactly the full scale of who Nicodemus is, but these questions aren't just possible, they are likely. Nicodemus, along with plenty of other religious leaders, is blown away by Jesus, is blown away by what he's doing, and they're trying to figure out who is this man. By the way, can I just pose a question to you? Nicodemus, those religious leaders thousands of years ago are not the only ones that are still asking this question. Who is Jesus? What matters most? Friends, we're asking that question, and if you're not, you should be, because there really is only one thing that matters most. Now, before we get there, I want to show you a few of the things that don't matter most, especially that we learn from the life of Nicodemus. Here's the first one. It's not your reputation. Oh, you can fill in so many things here, by the way. It's not your religious efforts. Um, it's not your good works. It's not your deeds. It's not how hard you work. You could put anything in here, but your reputation, your current situation, your status is not what matters most. You say, Danny, how do we know this? Because of the stature of Nicodemus. Look at what it tells us about him in verse number one. He is, first of all, a Pharisee. Now, I know for us, we give the Pharisees a pretty bad name because of what we know will happen between them and Jesus moving forward in the gospel accounts. But at this point in time, in the history of the Jewish nation, a Pharisee was not just highly respected, they were highly feared. Why? Because they controlled most everything in Jewish life, and they were the standard that everybody else tried to be like. If we were going to be the best Christian we could be, we looked to the Pharisees in order to try to be exactly what they were. They were the Jewish nationalists. nationalists. They were extremely devoted to the law. They were intense about scripture and expositors of the word and sought to apply every piece of the law, every part to everyday life. In fact, they wrote tons of commentaries about the Bible to try to help people live out their faith better as a good Jewish young man would do. Now, we think of them as legalistic, and they would become that. But at this time, they are highly respected and highly feared. We also discover that he's a ruler of the Jews. And this is an interesting phrase because it implies that Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee or a religious leader of the day, the top of the top. He was also part of the leaders who governed the Jewish people. They were called the Sanhedrin. Now, this is a council of about 70 men who were experienced statesmen and religious figures. They served, just to give you an idea, they served as Israel's parliament, Congress, and Supreme Court. He was extremely distinguished with a lot of power and authority at his disposal. In fact, he wasn't just a religious man, but a leader of religious men. 
Rabbinical tradition claims that Nicodemus was one of the three richest men in all of Jerusalem at this time. So think about these characteristics of this man's life. Here's what we would say. Nicodemus was a big deal. He's not just some random dude off the street who has no credentials whatsoever. No, he's done everything that he possibly can to be the best person that he could possibly be. As a matter of fact, later as we're reading in John chapter 3, we discover that he's also called not a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel. This implies that he was a good rabbi, but more than just a good rabbi, he's probably the best rabbi. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, all of the Jewish young men were trying to sign up to follow the best rabbis of their day, to be better followers of God. And so if you're looking at a list of who you would submit your resume, your application to first, you would put Nicodemus at the top. Now, of course, you don't think you'll get selected because that's very unlikely. This is like trying to be the Harvard grad or the Princeton grad or the Yale grad. Like, no, we may settle for, you know, something more simple like, you know, Southern Miss. Anyway, no offense to my USM fans. This is not like that. This is a guy that's got a massive waiting line for the people who will walk after him and learn from him. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Like I said, he's a big deal. As a matter of fact, if he was preaching today, you would wish that you had called him as your pastor instead of me. And to be honest, there may be plenty of people out there that you think that same thing about, but that's neither here nor there. His reputation though, even though he was this incredible, even though he had done this many good things, even though he was the best of the best, his reputation, his religious deeds, his good works, his, you put it wherever you want to, status, standing, family, position, authority, none of that mattered when it came to what matters most. No amount of good deeds, no amount of distinguished character, no amount of credentials could replace his need for something greater. He could not earn what could only be given to him by Jesus. We'll circle back to that. Isaiah, the prophet, many years before this, put it like this. We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, or you might know it as filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Doesn't matter how good you think you are. When it comes to what matters most, your amount of goodness can never compare to what Jesus has done for you. Your amount of works and church membership and Sunday school attendance and service, to the, none of that can be good enough to earn your way to God. Nicodemus thought it was. He lived his whole life that way. That's why he was a Pharisee. That's why he was a ruler of the Jews. That's why he was the teacher of Israel. He had thought through all of these means, I can gain salvation. Jesus goes, no, listen, when it comes to what matters most, it's not your reputation. Secondly, I want to show you this. It's not your respect. Now, what I really mean by this is your lip service to Jesus. You could say whatever you want to with your mouth. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your faith in Christ? Let me show you what I mean. This man, it says in verse two, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I want you to see the flattery here. 
He calls him rabbi, the same term that's used for him. He considers Jesus to be an equal with him. Now, because Nicodemus is who he is, that's a big deal. He's saying, Jesus, you're a big deal too. We know you are. He says, you're a teacher come from God. He says, no one can do these signs. He has tremendous respect for Jesus. He says all the right things. In fact, the phrase used here by night might mean something different than what you've grown up hearing about. I remember when I was younger, people used to say, well, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, probably because he was embarrassed to be seen with Jesus during the day. He had a reputation to uphold. Jesus had just overthrown tables in the temple. He had just ran people out. He is burning all these bridges with this guy's other religious friends. Like, I can't be seen. My other religious friends will think, what am I doing if I'm seen with Jesus? So he comes by night, right? Under the disguise of darkness, not to be seen. But one of the things that I think is fascinating and probably most likely is that most rabbis who considered another rabbi to be their equal, which we've already established that Nicodemus did, they would spend time with other rabbis during the night. You say, Danny, why? Because during the day, they respected the ministry of all the other rabbis. They knew they had students to teach. They knew they had lessons to go through. They knew that they had a lot to do during the day. And so they didn't want to get in the way. They didn't want to interrupt what another rabbi was doing. So instead of going to them during the day to interrupt what they should be doing, they would go by night in order to study the law together, to have debates about what the scripture teaches. They would go out of respect for the ministry of one another by night as to not interrupt the ministry of the day. This is probably what Nicodemus is doing. He's not at this moment ashamed of Jesus. He wouldn't be going to him at all if he didn't think there was something happening here. He knew Jesus was great. He knew there was something different about him. He knew that he wanted to figure out what was going on with Jesus. He flatters him over and over and over. And so he goes as an equal by night to get some time, uninterrupted conversation with this new rabbi by the name of Jesus. Also, there's an interesting thought to the metaphorical writing of the Gospel of John. It could be that John wasn't talking about a time of day at all. It could be that what John was actually talking about wasn't the darkness of the night, but it was the darkness of Nicodemus' heart. Think about that. All of us come to Jesus by night. You say, Daddy, what do you mean? All of us come to Jesus in the darkness of our own lost souls. Nicodemus approached Jesus in the darkness of night, but his own lost soul was darker than he knew. He came wanting to know what Jesus could do, flattering him with beautiful words of respect. And in fact, he's not even alone. Did you catch what it said? In verse two, it doesn't just say that this man came to Jesus by night, but look at what he says to him. We know, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, who is the we? We don't really know. Maybe it's some of his own disciples that are with him that he's training as their rabbi. Maybe it's some of the people at the end of John chapter two who saw the signs that Jesus did and they wanna find out more about him as well. Maybe it's some colleagues of his who have come back from reporting of what John the Baptist said or other religious leaders who want to know more. Either way, we see his respect for Jesus, for the signs that he's done, and he wants to know more about him. But look at what Jesus does. He flips the conversation in a hurry. And I want to tell you why. It's because our respect is not what matters most. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Please don't misunderstand that. Our reputation in our world does matter, right? People look at us as followers of Jesus, and we should represent 
Christ. It is important. Our respect of Jesus obviously is important. We should praise and honor his name. That is very important. But here's the problem. If that's all you're offering, or if you think that's what matters most, you're missing it because your flattery doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Your lip service doesn't mean anything to Jesus if you haven't been, watch this, born Again, that's what Jesus says in verse three. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I know you respect me, Nicodemus. You call me a, 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 a coworker, a co-laborer, another rabbi. You flatter me with all these comments about a teacher come from God. But Jesus could look right into the heart of Nicodemus just like he can us, just like he did those people at the end of John chapter two. He could look right into his heart and know this, though you say all these words, Nicodemus, you don't believe in me. Friend, think about that for a moment. How many people in the room might be just like Nicodemus? You've done everything you know to do as a good church member. You've said all the right things because you know the right answers from the Bible. You have an impeccable reputation because you've tried your best to succeed and be a good, moral human being. Listen, all those things are great. But if you've never been born again, if you've never trusted in Jesus as the only one who can save you from your sins, if you've never come to a point where you realize you were a sinner just like everybody else in desperate need of a savior to cleanse your sins, if you've never repented from a sinful, fallen humanity and turned your life toward Jesus and embraced his death as your death. Friend, listen to me. If you've never been born again, and all that reputation, all that respect, all those religious deeds, all that lip service to God means nothing if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Think about how radical this is for Nicodemus. Think about how radical this moment is for good church members. Think about how radical this statement is for people who think that they're good enough or they're nice people, or they can earn their way into heaven. Friends, this is not just a church thought. This is a human being thought. We can never be good enough. Think about this. Nicodemus, the best of the best, he's done everything that he knows to do rightly, and Jesus still says to him, your reputation, your religion, your respect, none of that matters most. If Nicodemus, with this type of impeccable service, can't earn his way into heaven, then friend, listen to me. None of us can. As a matter of fact, I love the statement that the apostle Paul makes to the church at Philippi. He says this about his own confidence. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was just like Nicodemus, did everything he could to earn his way to Christ. And then finally, listen to what he goes on to say. He says, but whatever gain I had, you know what he's saying? Whatever foundation I built my life on, whatever stuff I thought could get me to where I needed to be, here's what he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Friends, listen to me. You know what he told the church in Ephesus? He said, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once 
walked. You know what he's saying? There is nothing you can do. How many of you agree a dead man cannot bring himself back to life? Of course he can't. We have no ability to get rid of our deadness. We need something beyond ourselves. He would go on to say to the church in Rome, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to this statement from John Calvin. I love it. He said, by the term born again, Jesus means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. You know what he's saying? We don't need to be washed up. We're not a little dirty. We don't need to get a little better on our own. No, 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 friends. He says we are dead in need of resurrection life. You know who brings it? Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, you know what he says? I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, we are in need of something well beyond our reputation and well beyond our respect. We need to be born again. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, listen, this isn't the first time this terminology has been used in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus is blown away by it, but it's not even the first time this concept is mentioned in the Gospel. Listen to this. This is from John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who's him? Who's him? Jesus. That's always a good answer, by the way. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now listen to this. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you know what John was saying well before this conversation with Nicodemus? He was saying in order for us to receive eternal life, in order for us to be changed, it's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can say. It's all about Jesus. He's what matters most. This is what we need. We need a new birth. Listen, religion says what matters most is your reputation, your religious efforts, your respect. If you'll go to church enough out of respect, if you'll wear a Christian t-shirt out of respect, if you won't say cuss words out of respect, if you do your best to respect most all Christian standards in the South and be a good enough person, well then listen, religion says that respect is enough. But Jesus says it's not about your reputation or religious deeds. It's not about your respect. He also says this, listen, it's not about your reasoning. It's not, it's not your reasoning. Listen, you might try to figure out what you can do or learn more or know more. You might just think, man, if I could understand it better than I can reason in my own mind, what needs to take place next? But listen to this. Jesus tells Nicodemus to be born again. And listen to Nicodemus. He's as lost as we would be. Look back at verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Man, friends, listen, he is, he, is, he is lost in this moment. By the way, can I tell you something? Before we can ever get saved, Jesus has got to show us that we're lost. You with me? You know what's happening in this moment? Jesus is helping Nicodemus understand that your reputation, your respect, your reasoning, your intellect, it will never be enough. If we were in this same moment, forget all these words, forget this guy hundreds and thousands of years ago, forget this conversation, just think about it for a moment. If we could do it on our own, if we could figure it out, if we could scheme up a better plan, we wouldn't need Jesus, but friends, we can't. And so what has to happen before I can ever surrender my life to Jesus is he's gotta show me that I need him above everything else. I can't fully understand it all. I can't fully do it all. I can't fully be it all. You want to know why? 
because I need Jesus. This is the moment that Nicodemus is processing through right now. By the way, he doesn't ask why he needs to be born again. He asks how he can be born again. I mean, think about that for a moment. Is Nicodemus really in these moments being awakened to something deeper than we realize? Is he finally understanding, man, these religious efforts, they are too heavy to carry. Is he realizing I can't do it enough on my own? I'm still sinful. Nicodemus knows what's in his own heart. Jesus knows it even better. He's not saying, why do I need it? He knows why he needs it. He can never be good enough. Instead, he goes, how? How can I be born again? And Jesus changes it up for him a little bit. He says, I say to you, verse five, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He changes from born again to born of water and spirit. He changes from see the kingdom of God to enter the kingdom of God. Now listen, there's tons of speculation on this verse and we can argue about it another time because I'm already running out and I've got so much more to say. So let me just skip to it. What's actually happening here from Nicodemus's understanding is Jesus is reflecting back on John the Baptist. You remember this scene in the beginning of the Gospel of John when John is baptizing in the Jordan and he's asking everybody to come and repent and be baptized in water. As a matter of fact, Matthew 3.11 says this, from John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance. That was his goal, water, repentance. But he who is coming, talking about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See the difference? John's baptizing with water for repentance. We need repentance. You can't get saved until you see that you are lost and repent and long to follow Jesus. You need repentance. That's why John came, baptizing with water. And so Jesus is saying, no one can enter the kingdom unless they've been born of water, repentance. But then he says, born of the spirit. Why? Because Jesus isn't bringing a baptism of repentance. John ushered that in. Jesus is bringing a baptism of regeneration. You see, John baptized with water for repentance. Jesus will baptize with the spirit for regeneration. He will change us from the inside out. He's informing Nicodemus that no repentance equals no regeneration equals no rebirth. Now listen, here's what would be happening in the mind of Nicodemus. His mind would flash back to an Old Testament prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to some of these words. Ezekiel said, he's speaking on God's behalf, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Then he says, and I will give you a new heart. And listen to this, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So don't miss this. He gets a new heart, a heart of flesh, but he gets the spirit within him, listen to this, to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, I can never do it on my own. Do you know what I need? I need the spirit of God to come live inside of me to cause me to move in the direction that God wants me to move. This is what Jesus is saying. This is why he turned water into wine. You say, Danny, why? Because he wants to transform us from the inside out. We can't do it. He wants to take that old water man and make him a new wine through the 
the Spirit of God. This is why he turned over the tables and ran everybody out of the temple. Why? Because we are the temple of God and he wants to cleanse us. This is why Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why? Because no amount of good works, no amount of lip service, no amount of any reasoning on your own part can ever justify what needs to happen in your life. You say, Danny, what? You need the Holy Spirit to come inside of you and change you forever. We need Jesus. So listen, I gotta finish. I know, I know, I know. Let's skip, let's skip, let's skip, let's skip, let's skip. All kinds of cool things, right? There's the wind blows and you don't really understand it or know it and you can't control it, so it is with the Spirit, right? Don't get confused. What flesh creates, man creates, can never be what God, I mean, there's all kinds of things happening. Nicodemus blown away. How can these things be? And Jesus is like, what do you mean how can these things be? You're the teacher of Israel, yet you do not know. But watch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 11, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I want you to hone in there for a minute. You're like, Danny, you've been running around and sweating and screaming, and I can't even hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm with you, but listen to this. I got a little worked up. I apologize. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus see, listen, what matters most is not your reputation, your religious deeds, your amount of good works. What, what matters most is not your respect or your lip service or what you think is right or looks good in front of other people. What, what's not most important is, 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 is your reasoning and that you can understand what's happening or figure out who God is. That will never, ever work. So you say, Danny, if it can be none of the things that I can do, then where is our hope? Well, here's what Jesus is telling him. It's not... It's not our reputation, it's not our respect, it's not our reasoning. Do you know what it is? It's our response that matters most. It's our response. You say, Danny, what do you mean? This is why, John, this is why Jesus said, but you do not receive our testimony. This is why he says at the end of verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man, me. You don't receive the testimony that we're telling you. You don't receive the son of man. Watch this. He uses an Old Testament story about Moses. Look at this. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. What's he talking about? Jesus dying on the cross. But watch this. This is where it's huge. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Man, Danny, if I can't get there, if I can't do enough, if I can't be enough, if I can't live enough, what must I do? Friend, this is where it's beautiful. You just need to believe in Jesus in order to have eternal life. I love what the hymn writer wrote. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. You know what Jesus is trying to give us a picture of this morning? I don't think he's as concerned about a guy by the name of Nicodemus, although he was at that time. John was. I think what Jesus is doing, us, uh, doing for us is what Paul would later write in Romans chapter 10 when he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'm sure there are some really good people in this room. I know a lot of you and you know, I'll give you a eh. But if you're here this morning and you're thinking that 
man, I just wish I was more like those people, or if I was just better, or if I just went to church more, or if I just said the right things, or if I was just in the right places, or if I just knew more about God. Like, I know there are people in this room that have, are just thinking so hard. There's so many things I need to do. There's so much more that needs to happen. I, maybe one day I can, I can be a Christian too. Maybe. Listen, friend, you are so wrong if you think it has anything to do with you. It doesn't. It has everything to do with Jesus. And just as he told Nicodemus, as hard as it was for Nicodemus to wrap his mind around it, think about this. Most Jews at this time, Nicodemus included, they, they believed they were already in the kingdom of God. They were born into it as children of Abraham, children of the promise. Why would they have to be born again? They're already born into the family of God. Jesus flips it all. And he's like, no friend, listen, there is nothing you can do. The only way you can see the the kingdom of God. The only way you can be made right with him. The only way you can have a relationship with Jesus. The only way that you can go from dead to life is to confess Jesus as your Lord and believe in what he has done on your behalf. Say, Danny, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Friend, it is. As a matter of fact, for those who are here this morning who don't know Jesus and you've been trying to figure out the best way to get there, friend, listen to me. I'll be in that lobby in a few moments. I'd love to open my Bible and show you just how simple it is. I didn't say easy. I said simple. To surrender your life and believe and trust in Jesus. But listen, I know there's a bunch of people in here who walk with Jesus already. Can I tell you something? Why then, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, do we so quickly turn to living out our faith on our own? Why is it that we so quickly go from simple, basic, childlike faith in trusting Jesus to trying to make up all these rules, to trying to be good enough, to try to earn it? Why do we go from trusting in Jesus so that we could be made new to now trusting in ourselves so that we can be good enough? Isn't this a vicious circle? I told somebody this morning, I said, listen, either, either you are a Nicodemus already or you live long enough as a Christian to become one. Isn't that a dangerous place to be realizing or thinking that we can do anything to offer to Jesus our own goodness? Friend, you can't. You know what you need? You know what matters most? Faith in Christ. Nicodemus learned it, by the way. We discover throughout John, and we'll look at it more, he becomes a follower of Jesus, not based on any of that old religious system, but based on faith in Christ. Friends, that's what we need every day, faith in Jesus. Not your reputation, not your respect, not your reasoning. No, 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 your response daily to walk after Jesus. Will you give him that? Will you respond to him and live your life in the direction that Jesus wants you to live? You know what's awesome about this idea? Right now, we get the opportunity to respond. Right now, we get to take this account with Nicodemus and think about our own lives and our own heart. And if Jesus is having this conversation with us, what is it, what is it that he's asking us to do with what he teaches here? Listen. You